this week's parasha is Parashas Kiseitse in Parak Chafbez, Pasuk Aleph through Pasuk Gimel we have a mitzvah in the Torah about Hashavas Aveda the Pasuk says or the Pesukim say you shouldn't see the ox of your brother or his sheep or goat cast off and hide yourself from them. You're supposed to return them to him. You have to return it to him. You have to guard it until you find the proper owner. And this is what you should do for his chamar, for his simla. You should not hide yourself. These are psukim that deal with the mitzvah of Hashavas Aveda. Hashavas Aveda is a very primary mitzvah in the Torah. In fact, the Minig Yisrael is that the Haschala Salimud, the first Gemara that people learn in yeshivas, that children learn when they start out Learning is Parak Elu Metziah, the second Parak in Bab Metziah. And Ramesha Feinstein used to explain that the reason for this, even though if probably we were creating a curriculum for Yeshiva, we probably would choose maybe something different. And in fact, there were times and there were periods in American history, and this is what prompted Ramesha to say this, that there was a movement afoot to start when children learn whenever they begin to learn Gemara let's say 4th, 5th grade and they start learning Gemara it's better to start them off with brachas it's the beginning of Shas it's talking about concepts that they're familiar with why start talking about of all mitzvahs in the Torah and Ramesh is to say that there is a very important reason for this minig and that the minig should not be changed, even though it became popular in certain yeshivas to begin with Mesechus Brachis. But we should stick to our minig and we must stick to this minig Yisrael to start with Perak El Metzius. And he says that imagine if you're a child learning Mesechus Brachis from the beginning, and what do you start learning about? May Masai. And then you speak about Kriyashma Shal Shachris, and you find out that the real time to say Kriyashma is much earlier than we do. And the, the real time to daven is much earlier than we do. And especially if you're from certain communities, you might daven really late and beyond this man. What is the message that's being conveyed to the child? That Gemara is a very nice logical study, but it really has no bearing on our life. Because look, whatever we're learning, it's not practical. We're not keeping it. So there must be a lot of loopholes that we could use to get around what Chazal tell us to do in the Gemara, because we're not following it anyway. Much better, says Ramesha, is to continue the Minig Yisrael to learn about Hashavah Saveda because one thing that we want to really convey to a child and impress upon him from the earliest inception is that another person's property is holy. That we can't take somebody else's property and just swipe it. There's no such thing as, oh, I see it, you know, and I want it, and I take it, I put it in my pocket, and it's mine. Or finders, keepers, losers, weepers. All of these types of things are simple, simple laws of the jungle. And we want children, we want Jewish children to understand that that's not so. There are halachas that dictate everything, and especially when it comes to our friends' property. We have to be very, very nizer in what our friends have. And when we see our friends' when we see something that was owned by our friend and it's lost, we have to try to get it back to him. And if we don't know who he is, we have to try to keep it by us until we determine whose it is. And if we see something lying around, we don't take it. We don't assume, oh, it's ours because nobody claimed it. But we have to look for the owner and protect it or at at least don't touch it. Leave it where it is. 
Now there are many yeshivas. If you read a lot of history of the yeshiva, yeshiva system, yeshiva movement, which I do, there are a lot of stories that are very similar that you find by yeshivas across across Europe. One thing stands out that there was a very big zahiras when it came to not touching somebody else's property. And there are many legends and many stories in yeshivas that somebody, let's say, went to visit Kelm and he left his umbrella there or he left a pen there and then he would come back like eight to ten years later and the umbrella was in the very same place that he left it and the pen was in the very same place that he left it because nobody wanted to get anywhere near that pen that pen is not mine now, in yeshivas, you know, today we have a new thing which, you know, I, I think Ramesha says you can do it, so far be it for me to argue that after a certain amount of time, everything becomes hefker, it becomes yeshiva's property, and, and it's sold. And, you know, it's fine, it's a thousand percent mutter, but it's just, there's something about it that, that I think undermines a little bit of what we're saying. <clears throat> I feel guilty personally, like when I when I used to be a bacher in yeshiva and I used to buy for a dollar at these farm sales and you see the guy's name in the safer, you know who it is, but because he didn't claim it, he wasn't around to claim it, so now all of a sudden it becomes after, so you get it for a dollar or for five dollars or whatever, that's, I mean, it's again, I'm not questioning the halach, I'm just talking mitzad, the hashkafa shabai, there's something that, that is against what we're saying here. If it's my friend's property, it's, it's his. It's kaidish. It's not something that I should just be able to swipe and get a good deal off of because Nebuch, he wasn't around to claim it. He, he lost it. We should call the people who lost it and try to track them down and get it to them. I want to talk about the mitzvah of Ashava Saveda, this all-important mitzvah that we're discussing about being very careful about your friend's your friend's property. And I want to tell a few personal stories about it. And then I saw an amazing story I want to share it with you as well about this mitzvah Shava Saveda, and then we're gonna discuss a little bit of a deeper understanding in what the mitzvah Shava Saveda is really all about. When I was younger I was very into collecting Judaica, which I still I enjoy Judaica, but I, I can't afford it anymore, so I don't really collect it as much. When I was younger, I was more into it, and I so I used to I used to um, buy or I used to look on eBay when eBay was first started. It was much different than it was today. It was uh, it was much it was just a startup, and I but I was very intrigued by the fact that you could buy Judaica, and sometimes you can get very good things on eBay, believe it or not, in the Judaica realm. And I bought, I, I bought some from Rav Shach on eBay. And I bought other things. And one day I was, I was scrolling through the Judaica items on, on that site. And I came across something that was very strange. Um, it was a brand new, or it looked like a brand new pair of tefillin. I don't mean brand brand new. I mean, but it, it, like any guy's yeshiva, a nice pair of tefillin. With like an art scroll sitter and 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 a regular, it looked like a Hamish pair of film. It didn't look most of the film that was sold was always like these old, like you know, fifty, a hundred year old small pairs of film that probably somebody pulled out of a Seamus box or something. This was like a brand new pair of film, like a regular pair of film that you'd see anybody putting on. And I was quite sure that why would somebody be selling their own film on eBay? It doesn't make sense. It must have been stolen. So, so I went and I, I like zoomed in on the on the guy's fill-in bag, and I, I was a, it was a Hebrew name. It was embroidered in Hebrew, and it was being sold from Baltimore. You could see where the seller was from, so it was from Baltimore. So I, I don't know. I, I called somebody who had a, a an in-law or something in Baltimore. I said, "Do you happen to know this person?" He says. She says, yeah, I think I do. Let me just try to track down the number. Anyway, she called me back. She gave me the person's number. And I call him up. He actually is a very chashva person. He wrote a very chashva safer, it turns out. And his, he didn't answer. His wife answered. 
And I said to her, did your husband by any chance, you know, lose his tefillin? She says, you found his tefillin? I said, well, not exactly. <laughs> but um, what happened? Like where, you know, she says he was parked in a bad part of Baltimore. And, and somebody broke into his car and it was in his briefcase. They took his briefcase and, and uh, his tefillin are gone. He's going crazy. So I said, listen, I, I, I don't have it. At this time, like, nobody knew what eBay. This is like Mamish, like, you know, I said, it's on the internet. What's the internet? And, well, you know, there's, it's a thing. It's on a computer and you... And anyway, we got in touch with the Baltimore Police Department. And the Baltimore Police Department ran a whole sting operation to get the tefillin back. Um, they they posed as like a buyer, and then they told this person who was selling it that they wanted to, uh, uh, you know, pick it up personally in a police uh, in a police car. And um, anyway, it turns out they the wom- it was it was a woman who was selling it, but she wasn't the ganav. She had bought it from like an estate sale, or she bought it at a flea market or something, and she was trying to make money on it, and she sold it, but she so. In the end of the day, I think they actually caught the guy. I hope he's not watching it on Torah anytime. But um, they caught the guy who stole it. And he got back his film. The interesting part of the story was that I became very famous. That was my 15 minutes of fame uh, after that incident. I got caught. For some reason, this, this story went viral before the term viral even existed. And... Um, I was contacted by Newsweek.com and the Jewish Press, not the Jewish Press, the Jerusalem Post, the Ated. They all carried this story, and some of them bothered to call me and interview me about it, and, and, and some didn't, but all of them got it wrong. There was not one newspaper that actually was factually factual. And... You know, I had I saved all these clippings, and it's the most amazing. It was the biggest eye opener in my life. I was because you think when you read a newspaper that it's all tires my shamus. Everything that you read in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, it's true. It's mamish exactly as it happened. And I was the baldover here. I I knew the story personally because it happened to me. And not one of these newspaper articles got it even remotely right. They called me. The cyber sleuth—that was the term that they that they gave me. If you're looking for some Hermspiel material, um, that was what a lot of them dubbed me as. And um, it's pretty cool to have a mashkiach. That's a cyber sleuth. But um, anyway, this was the. Uh, but this, the Musar Haskell to me was that don't ever believe anything that you read in a newspaper because it's all shaker v'chazal. Just because it's written there does not mean a thing. As great as the, the reputation of the newspaper, it's all sheker the chazav. Do not believe anything that you read in the newspaper. And this is for like a, a little silly article that's really not even, you know, that interesting. But like imagine when you're speaking about like current events and world issues and people are making, forming opinions about things on the basis of what these journalists write. It's really scary because it's such a distorted viewpoint that you don't even know anymore what, what the truth is. Anyway, that's one story about Hashavah Saveda. I had another story a few weeks ago that happened to Hashavah Saveda that my son had a birthday, my little boy Yitzi, he turned six. And so we bought him at Amazing Savings for $20 a drone. The drone is those things that we were at a fast the other night and they had like this drone on top of the chuppah. It was an outdoor chuppah. And this annoying thing was like buzzing in my ear for like a half an hour. I got such a headache from this drone. But it probably took pretty cool videos for, you know, for posterity. But in terms of the chuppah itself, it killed the whole chuppah. It was a beautiful chuppah. Anyway, so the drone is that thing that you take, you know, you have a remote control thing and it goes up and you can fly it. And my son was very good at it. My six-year-old son, he knew how to do it. And we took him to, like, the baseball field near my house. And I said, could I try it? 
So he like looked at me, you sure you want to do this? I said, yeah, I think I could do it. Anyway, like I let it go and it like flew up like a thousand miles in the air and it like went off to oblivion. And I could not, like my wife was there looking at me like I'm the worst person in the world. My, my son was like looking at me like, are you serious? You lost my new drone? Like I just had it like three minutes. And I was like about to go back to Amazing Savings, buy a new one for 20 bucks. There was a guy, and I started looking all over. Like I took Yitzi by the hand, we started walking all around the streets of Queens, uh, you know, in, in the the radius of you know a block or two, trying to find the stone. But it was like gone. I mean, it was like I thought it was for sure, like already, like in Forest Hills or Jamaica States, wherever. And there was this old Spanish guy that was in the park. He was also giving me dirty looks. So how could you do this to your son? So like I say, I said to him, like, did you see it? And he was like, no, no, no. And then, and then we were looking all over. I thought for sure this thing was gone forever. And my wife already went home, and she was like, everybody was upset at me. And um, and all of a sudden, this guy, you know, we're walking home dejected, me and Yitzi, and this guy, the Spanish guy, this old man. He did not speak a word of English. He found the drone. I don't know where it was, but like, you know, and, and he gave it, I wanted to mamish give the guy a kiss on the lips. I was so happy with this guy because like, I, it was like mamish, it's such, when, when you lose something and then somebody, you think it's gone and then somebody gives it back to you, it's such a nechama, it's such like a, a chesed that that person did, did for you. And I was like hugging him, I was like, thank you so much, gracias. And, and he was like, and then I ran home to get him a cold beer. I thought, you know, what else could I give him? I'm not going to give him, a, you know, a Shira Salevi or a, a great Jewish wisdom. So, uh, so, and I, I ran back to where he was and he was gone. And I was looking all over for him. More than the drone, I was looking for him because I wanted, I wanted to be your type a little bit. I felt so happy that he gave it to me. And... Um, they never. He wasn't there. And I, I'm convinced to this day that this was Eliyahu Nabi. <laughs> but it was just another maisa, like it's a again as a child about whether you have to be meishman aveda to a guy or not. But here, a guy was meishman aveda to a yid, and it was a uh, it was a very very uh, you feel like very gishmak when you get an aveda when you think something is lost. And then you refine it. There's, it's, it's an amazing feeling. And then I saw a Misa that's really a very cool story. I saw it in the Jewish Action a couple of months ago, so I saved it for the Shmuz. There was a Rav in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. His name is Rabbi Akiva Males. I think that's how you say it. And he... Uh, Anyway, the story goes that he was, as the Rav of the Shul, him and his father, who was visiting for Yantif, Pesach, they were doing Bidikas Chametz. After they finished in their house, they went to the Shul to do Bidikas Chametz. And um, anyway, the father of this rabbi was like shining the flashlight in the coat room, and he saw that there was some knapsack that was on the top shelf in a, in a coat room of the Shul. And he said, do you know whose that is? They said, no, he took it down, and he, uh, he didn't open it. He just didn't have, have a chance, so he just like, basically put it in his office. And after Yantif, he went and he said, okay, i got to now try to see whose knapsack this is. He thought it was somebody that recently uh, was in the shul and left the knapsack there. So he opens up the knapsack, and he finds certain you know, things that would, I guess, belong in a knapsack. There was a uh, there was a digital camera. There was a small volume of Mishnayos. There was some, and then there were some postcards sent from a girl by the name of Margot Reinstein, and it was addressed to a Josh Batwinik. So Margot was sending Josh postcards. So the only way that he knew to figure out who's who's uh, you know whose whose knapsack this was is presumably. It was this guy Josh, who the postcards were sent to by this girl Margot, and um, and so, but he didn't have Josh's address for some reason. I don't know. He only had Margot's address. I don't know why he wouldn't have Josh's. Anyway, but he should have had Josh's, not Margot. <laughs> but 
I have to read this more carefully next time. Um, anyway, he only had Margot's address on the postcard. That doesn't make sense. Um, but anyway, he sent this. He sent this back to Margot. He sent this knapsack back to Margot, and then he didn't hear anything. A few months later, he gets a phone call from Margot, and it said, and she's thanking him profusely. And here's the story. She says that this was a mice of three years ago that he left, that this Josh left this knapsack in the shul. Apparently, he went to a certain camp, maybe somebody knows his Camp Stone in Sugar Grove, Pennsylvania. And a lot of times, every summer, a large group of campers stops at, at this shul, Kesher Israel of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, to Daven, and they eat there. And so that, so it was three years ago that this Josh left this knapsack there. Now Margot, three years later, gets this knapsack, and she opens it up, and it's Josh's knapsack. Now, she and Josh were dating three years before that, and that's why she was sending him postcards. But they had, and they were, you know, in college, they were dating. It didn't work out. They broke up, and, and that was it. But when she got, and they were dating other people, and they weren't finding anybody, when she got that, Knapsack in the mail, she called Josh and she said, I got your knapsack from you know some rabbi in in, in, in Pennsylvania in Harrisburg. And uh, they started schmoozing and they started getting reacquainted and then they started dating again. And they dated and they dated. When this girl Margot called the rabbi to thank him, she said that I think that it might turn into something real, and I think we might be getting married. And if we get married, you're going to get a bracha under the chuppah. And sure enough, after a few months, they got a wedding invitation, and they went to this chasna, um, and and he got a bracha under the chuppah, and he and he writes at the end how mitzvah gereres mitzvah, the mitzvah of v'dikas chametz led to the mitzvah of Hashavah Saveda. The mitzvah of Hashavah Saveda opened up new doors in, in people's lives that they should get married. That's the chashivas of Hashavah Saveda. When you return Aveda, it's not just you're giving a guy back his, his thing that he lost, but very often you're giving him back his ruach, his neshama, his shidduch. You're opening up things. You're returning much more than just a mere object. It's not just the chefts of an Aveda that you're returning. It's there's so much in the mitzvah shavas Aveda that goes into it. You're giving, you're making a person happy when you return an Aveda. You're giving a person a, a renewed outlook on life, and that could lead to tremendous things. The mitzvah shavas Aveda is a wonderful mitzvah to, for a young child to be introduced to because it's really a mitzvah of chesed and it's restoring a person's faith in society. If I were to ask you rhetorically, who was the founder of Hatzalah? Hatzalah is a wonderful organization that people that are malachim serve in Hatzalah. You have to be a maloch to, to be a member of Hatzalah. You think about what these people have to do. Obviously, there's the cool parts. You get to carry around the radio with you, and you get to put your keys on top of the antenna of the radio, and then you know you get to drive around in an ambulance day and night, and you get to put the sirens on. You know, there's a lot of cool stuff. Cherries on your ca- on your car, you know, whatever those things, you know, whatever they call those. What do they call those? Anyway, whatever. Yeah. So, um, so. There are a lot of cool things to being an Atzala grant that you get to wear the, you know, the jacket and the this, but it's a big mysterious nefesh. It's a big mysterious nefesh. You know, there's a story that's told about a person who, who fainted on Yom Kippur in a shul, and there was like, you know, it's dangerous sometimes to faint in a shul because there's so many Hatzala guys that are like pouncing all over you that it's like more dangerous than what you did, you know, than the fainting spell is like the, the treatment. So, you know, there's like 10, ten Hatzalah guys all over this guy, and they're all wearing their kittles and their talesim, and the guy's like coming to, 
and he sees like he sees like ten like people in white like all like all over him surrounding him and he says in Yiddish it sounds better he says Binachshayna Ibn am I upstairs already? I'm, I'm, is that it? But the truth is that they are malachim. They are malachim to be able to in the middle of a Friday night suda you just want to sit and have your gefilte fish with your family sing some mirrors fall asleep at the table you know that's all you want. And, and all of a sudden you get that call and there's no one answering, you gotta, you know, leave your family and then take the guy to the hospital and then stay with him in the hospital, do the paperwork, I don't know, whatever it does, until the doctor comes, you can't, you come back three o'clock in the morning, but then your whole family is, is sleeping and Shabbos is killed already, but you did your, your mission, you, you know, it's amazing, it's not much an amazing thing, all throughout, whether it's cold, whether it's hot, whether it's, Snow, whether it's sleet, hail, it's, it's, it, these people are really malach. Now, who started Hatzalah? So, I think if you would Google it, you would probably find that it was started by a person by the name of Weber from Williamsburg. And it's very cool. If you have read articles about him and the way he started, he saw like a, uh, a need for it because people were dying and they weren't getting, you know, the, the regular New York. Paramedics were not responding in, 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 in fast enough time. He saw people dying, and he saw the need, and he went, and he saw... There's very cool pictures of, like, original Hatzalah ambulances. They were, like, big station wagons with, you know, sirens on a very, very primitive Hatzalah mobiles, but very cool. But I'll tell you the real person who started Hatzalah. The concept of Hatzalah was started by none other than Rabbeinu Yaina. Rabbeinu Yaina started Hatzalah? That's crazy. Let's see, Rabbeinu Yaina writes an amazing thing in Shara Shlishi of Shari Tshuva. A lot of times, you know, we learn Shari Tshuva in the mornings during Elul after davening, and we're lucky if we get a few, you know, maybe a couple of pages into Sha'arisha and we keep going back. Somebody suggested this year, maybe instead of like constantly starting again from the beginning, we should continue next L from where we left off. But there's something beautiful about the beginning of Shari Chuba that really speaks to a person during L. But I think in general, people are much more familiar, those that learn Shari Chuba are much more familiar with the Chuba part of, of the Sefer, which is in Sha'arisha. And Shar Shlishi really deals, he goes through the mitzvahs of the Torah, and he gives us a little bit of a, a deeper understanding of them. So if you want to look this up, it's in Shari Tshuva, Shar Shlishi, and it's ice. Let's get it exact. Shari Tshuva, it's in Chelek Yimel, Ayin to Ayin Aleph. Okay, so it says like this, Leisuchalis Alim, it's the Pasuk in this week's parasha. You cannot turn away. When you see your friend's Aveda, when you see his Shar, when you see his Sadni Dachim, something that is cast away, it's completely lost, you have to return that Aveda to your friend. And Rabbi Niyayna says that from here we see that you have to not be lazy when it comes from saving your friend's money, whether it's Metaltalin, whether it's Karka, he brings the Chazalin in Baba Metzia. And then he says like this. It's not just their Metaltalin. It's not just the knapsacks and the drones. And it's not just the Tzvillin that you're supposed to return to your friend. But it's also, you have to help your friend himself. If he's in a hard predicament, if he's in a dire strait, you have to, if I have to help his sheep get back and find its way, certainly I have to help him. Don't stand by your blood, by your friend's blood. Your friend is bleeding, save him, help him. And he continues, and he says that in Yeshlucha Kayak Lahatzel Beitzayabishtadlas Vatamaris Natchka Shemakayakos Bakayakikzakakako. If you see your friend suffering, drowning, 
in a bad situation and you're not helping him, you will suffer, says Rabbi Yaina. He says, It's good and it's very proper. Rabbi Yaina was a Rishon, by the way. Listen to what Rabbi Yaina is saying. In every city, it's proper. People that dedicate their time from those that are wise, from those that are clever. A person should be at the ready to engage in anything that needs Hatzalah. When another man or woman in Kla Yisrael is found in a situation of Tsar, you're in a Tsara, you're in a bad situation. Every city should have an organization that takes care of these people in Saris. Amazing. A man way before his time. Rabbi Yenna lived in the 1200s. Rabbi Yenna is telling us that there should be in every city and every town an organization that's not so people-based sorrow. Look, the Torah is telling us that we have an obligation to take care of our friend's ox and our friend's sheep that are lost. We have to keep them in our rishos. We have to take care of this ox in our backyard until our friend comes to claim it. Can you imagine what the Torah expects to do with the owner of the sheep? If we're supposed to take care of that ox, that sheep, and take good care of it, be a good caretaker, so that we're able to return it to its owner properly, could you imagine what the Torah expects for us to do for the owner itself, not the sheep? The owner itself we have to help. And so many times the owner himself is in a bad situation, we have to go and help him. This is true for all the organizations. It's true for Hatzalah. It's true for Chaverim. Chaverim is also like a great organization. Um, I always, whenever I speak, think about Hatzalah, I think about a Talmud of mine in the early years of Chaverim when they just started in Queens. So I had a Talmud that came over to me and he said to me, Rabbi, I have a big problem. I said, what's the problem? And he talked about his problem was my nightmare. He says, I was coming out of my car and I was walking by the sewer grate, which is like a drop of 20 feet into a sludge, and, and I dropped my whole set of keys. I had my car key, my house key, my uh, locker key, my whatever. I had all my keys. My whole life was on that keychain, and now it's down on the bottom of the sewer. What do I do? I said, I don't know. I'm not scared there. What do I know? <laughs> so... I said, you know what, I'll give you an eight. I don't know exactly what you're going to do with this, but there's a new organization just started in Queens called Chaverim. They specialize in cars. Now normally Chaverim, they help jumpstart your car and they help fix a, fix a flat tire if you're on the road. But who knows, maybe they could do something for a, a, a set of keys that drop, uh, it's, it's car related, it's your car keys. So he said, all right, I'll try it. So I gave him the number, called him up, and the most amazing thing in the world happened. These guys come, this, I think it was a Hasidish guy, if I remember correctly, and he comes, and we tell him the problem, and I thought for sure he'd just like turn around. He said, if it's not, a, it's not a battery, it's not a tire, I don't know what to do. But he got out of his trunk a like fishing box you know what that is and in the fishing box that's like it has normally when you go fishing it has tackle and hooks and whatever and float and he opens it up and he has like fishing tackle and at the and on the it's a it's like a hole it's like 50 feet of fishing tackle like strong string and on the end of it there's a magnet I saw this with my own eyes I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing the guy, like, without you, as if, like, you know, as if he was getting a box of Kleenex or something, like, it was, like, the most frustrated thing that he could do this, you know, he just starts lowering the line down, and then he starts bringing, he brings him, he gives him his keys, I mean, it was a little disgusting, but he washed them off, I guess, and, and that was it, 
this is this is mamish. This is Hatzola, This is Rabbeinu This is what Rabbeinu is saying. You have to have people like this and organizations like this that will take care of you when you need it. This is part of the mitzvah shavas It's just a natural extension. It's a it's a kavachaymer from shavas If you have to return a shar and a seh that were cast away, don't I have to return a person's sanity? person that lost his keys is going crazy. Don't I have to do something to try to help him? If a person's having a heart attack or breaks his arm or, or whatever else could happen to a human being, a frail human being, doesn't it behoove us to try to figure out a way to return his health to him so that he's not bitsar? This Rabbeinu Yaina's innovation. And Rabbeinu Yaina tells us that Hatzalah comes from this alam to man. You can't turn away. If you, there are people that are suffering, you have to come up with ways to help save them. There's a great story about Hatzala and Chaverim. You know, it's like uh, sometimes they have those, uh, you know, superheroes and you have like all of a sudden Superman and Batman at the same time. So here we have a story with Hatzala and Chaverim at the same story. That's really cool. So, pretty cool. So, they have... Um, there's a story that's told that was Erev Yantif. Erev Yantif. And a guy calls Chaverim like an hour or two before Yantif starts. And he says to the guy, he says, could you please come and fix my flat tire? He says, okay, are you on the belt or in the Van Wick? Where's the car? He says, no, it's in my driveway. He says, it's in your driveway? He says, it's an hour before Yantif. He says, I'm just coming out of the shower. If it's in your driveway... You know, keep it there till after Yantiv. Matzah Yantiv, I'll come over and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll change your lousy tire. Why do I have to do it right before Yantiv? And he was like, keeps on like complaining, complaining, complaining. And the guy says, listen, you're right. He says, only one thing, I'm in Hatzala. So, and you never know when I'm going to get a call. I'm going to get a call. I need my car to work. So you have to come over and fix the tire even before Yantiv. I, I might need it on Yantiv. He says, Fine. So he's all dressed up and his Yantav begotten already. He comes and the Shaverim guy comes and fixes the Hatzalah guy's tire. So the PS of the story is that on Yantav itself, this guy's mother-in-law, meaning the Hatzalah guy's, no, the Shaverim guy's mother-in-law, had like a massive heart attack. And he called the he called the Hatzalah guy and the Hatzalah guy with that car that he had fixed the tire for right before Yantif came and saved his mother-in-law's life. And the way I heard the story is and most of the time that's a good thing. <laughs> Save your mother-in-law's life. But that's the, uh, that's the, uh, that's an amazing thing. Hatzalah, Chaverim, these are very, very vital vital organizations that Pai Yisrael needs and it's all from this mitzvah Shavas it's just a natural extension I, there's no mitzvah to save a sheep and not a human being if I have to save a sheep that's lost I have to save a human being that's lost and Rabbeinu Yaina was the Mechadish of Hatzal in my opinion now if you look in the Arachayim HaKadish on, on, on the parish on these Pesukim he says Another Yisait that you learned from Ashava Saveda. He says that you have to go, if I have to return, he's, he's, he finds Ramazim to it in the Pasuk. He says, that the animals of your friends you have to go and return. He says, you know what this is talking about? This is talking about people that are not from. And they're, they have, they're acting you know, in a way, they're acting in a, in, from a terrorist perspective, like behemoths. They're not acting with the proper, the proper halachas they're not keeping. And you see your friend, and he's not a Shemr Shabbos, and he's not eating kosher, and he's not, uh, he's not davening in the morning, he's not putting on mezuzah, he's not chilling. These are, and, and nidachim, their mom is cast away. These are people that are not from. You can't, like sucha lesalim. You're not allowed to say, well, listen, you know, it's not my business. Let him live his life. I live my life. 
I don't want to, you know, well, my Geshef that he's not from, I'm, I'm doing my thing, let him do his thing. It's a free country. Zofi Arachayim HaKadosh, the Torah is telling you, you can't be misalim from your friend. If you see your friend, that's Nidochim, you see that there are multitudes of Jewish people around that are not from all over the place. You don't have to go very far, unfortunately. You don't have to, there's all over, every single block in America, I would say, that has Jews on it, there are going to be, if you're, if you're from, there's going to be a person, at least one, one, one person on your block that's not. And so now they have this Shabbos project, you know, so one Shabbos a year, you try to like, you, you know, everybody, that's like, that became, you have to find an Esther. Like, you have to find the one guy that's from, invite him to your house for Shabbos. That's my effort for the year. I take him, I give him some cholim, I send him on his way, and I never see him again until the next year's Shabbos project when it's again in vogue to invite somebody to your house for Shabbos. The Archaim HaKadosh is saying that the mitzvah of Shabbos Havet is a much deeper mitzvah. It's not just returning returning a friend's stuff. It's returning your friend to the Rabbi Nishayim. And that's also part of the mitzvah of Shabbat. So it's a much deeper mitzvah than just returning a chetzav and avedah. It's returning, it's helping another person who needs hatzalah. It's helping a person that's not from, to become from, to find God again, to find that avedah of his neshama. You know, it's also, a lot of people are into kirov. But you know what type of kirov they're into? They're into kirov rechaikim. They're into people that are not from, that's what I'm going to try to find. I'm going to do partners in Torah, I'm going to find, I'm going to join, you know, I'm going to go to public schools and help people, and I'm going to go to, a, you know, do formal kirov, and that's great. It's professional kirov is wonderful to go find people that are not from, that's what the Arachamagaj is saying to do. But a lot of times when we're looking outside and we're trying to be Makara people that are rachik, we oftentimes miss people that are much closer to home. Sometimes we have people in our very own family that are not from, or they're not, or they're, you know, borderline from, or they really could use a little bit of our help, assuming that the situation calls for it and it would be normal and natural. But, you know, it's much more, it's much cooler to go after people that are strangers, I mean, Makarim, and it's much easier in a sense than to find people that are close to us, I mean, Makarim, them. There's a great Meister with the Kapishna Sarebbe. The Kapishna Sarebbe was um, a very Chasheva Rebbe. In fact, we have a Talmud Yeshiva who's not here today, so I'm not going to say who it is, but it's his, it's his great-grandfather, the Kapishna Sarebbe. And very, very Chasheva Yid. He, was, he lived in the times of Aaron Cutler. He was very close to all the G'dayli Yisrael. And so the Kapitnitzer had a uh, he had a shul in, in Borough Park and he had Hasidim there and anyway one day he, he shows up at one of his Hasidim's office in Manhattan uh, for the, the rabbi to go into Manhattan was like a big deal and so he comes into the office and the secretary uh, you know, I don't know if she knew who he was she didn't know who he was, but anyway in the end the boss, who was a chassid of the rabbi comes running out and says, rabbi what are you doing here? Why are you in Manhattan in my office? You should have just called me. I would have come and come to the Rebbe. She says, no, no, no. This is something that's really, really important. I needed to make a special trip to come to see you in Manhattan by your office. I can't wait till you, for you to come to me. It's so important that I have to come to you. She says, Rebbe, what, what, what's so important? So he said, well, there's a nitzrach that needs a lot of money, nebuch there, you know, a lot of debt this person has, and, and uh, so making a simcha, and can't afford it, and all types of problems in the family, and it really needs your nedava. And this guy was a very big givir. He says, of course, yeah, but how, you know, but, but again, you could have just called, I would have run over with a check last night. I, no, this is so important. He says, Rebbe, how much do you need? He says, he says an, an amount. He says, and whom, to whom should I make the check out to? He says, make it out to your brother. Your brother needs tzedakah. You're busy giving tzedakah to the whole world. 
every organization in the world you're giving to, every, every mitzvah, every guy that comes to your door, your own brother needs tzedakah l'man Hashem. You have to give your brother. A lot of times we miss our craving. There's kiruv that we need to do, in-house kiruv. Out-house kiruv is also important, but in-house kiruv, sometimes we miss it's also part of this mitzvah of salamta. There's a mice that's told about Reb Kiva The great Reb Kiva lived in the city of Posen. He was the rub there for many, many decades. And one time, Reb Kiva had to go to Warsaw for some purpose. And when he came to Warsaw, you can imagine the covered malachim that was given to Reb Kiva Eger. Reb was the, the world acclaimed Gadladar. Wherever he went, he was it. So he comes into town and they say, you know, would you like to come to your, where you're, you're being put up by a very hush of a home or whatever. He's in the he says, before I do anything in this town of Warsaw, I have to, I have an old relative, like a great uncle or something, he's an old man and he's related to me and he's a, a shoemaker, very poor very simple, not a Talmud Chacham, but he's related to me. I have to track him down. He lives somewhere in Warsaw. Now, to find a shoemaker in Warsaw is like finding, a, I don't know, a stockbroker in Wall Street. It's impossible. Like it's, the, the whole place is true. There's, there's, there's thousands of them. But he told them, he thinks this is his name and this is sort of where he lives, and they you know, were searching all over Warsaw, and they finally tracked down this person, and they brought Reb Kivager to him, and Reb Kivager sat down with him and spoke to him and was menachemim and 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 consoled him and whatever they were doing as relatives. And he walked away, and this person feels like a million bucks. First of all, you know, a big rabbi comes to see me and Reb Kivager, and he's related to me. Now the whole town knows that I'm related to Reb Kivager. It was a big cover that was given to this shoemaker, and they said to Reb Kivager. You know, why? Why did you do this? You know, you're the God of Adar. You, it's, it's, it doesn't pass almost for you. It doesn't, not even, it's not appropriate even for you as the God of Adar to start looking after some far-flung, you know, distant relative in Warsaw. Like, what, what's up with that? So he says that in this week's parsha, in this parsha of HaShavah Saveda, it says, V'salamta man. And the Gemara Darshans that Pa'amim Sha'ata Mis'alim. There are some times that you have to look away from the Aveda. The Gemara says, if it's a Zakein, the Eino Lefi For example, if let's say Ramesha Feinstein is walking down uh, Main Street in Kew Garden Hills and he sees somebody's, I don't know, spare tire lying on the side of the road. So maybe you and I might have to bring it back and identify, find the owner. Ramesha finds it doesn't pass for him to go and, 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 and bring roll a tire in the street, doesn't so Pam Shat Miss you have to be Miss Allen. You have the right to be Miss Allen because it doesn't it's not a covet for you. You're you're you don't you're not expected to do something that's beneath your covet. For the, even for the mitzvah Shavasavid as great as it is. But he says that there's a Pasuk in Nach, says Rabkibeger, that says Umi Bisarcha Lysis Allen. That when it comes to your own closest of kin, when it comes to your own flesh and blood, lysis alley, you cannot turn away. That means that even the way Rabbi Kivager understood that, even if it's a zake even if it seems inappropriate, it seems beneath me to go, but the Pasuk still says, don't turn away from your brethren. That means that when we have a close relative, and that close relative is distant from the way of the terror, from us. We have to try, if it makes sense, sometimes it's impossible. Sometimes, you know, obviously every situation is different. And sometimes you can't deal with certain people, even if it's, you know, the dafka because it's a close relative. Not, it doesn't always work. Here it works sometimes much better in the, in the world at large than it does in your own home. It's not always received in the proper way and it doesn't work and it's too close for comfort. Everybody knows that. But sometimes you can, there are, there is a sibling that you can have Ashbaram. And you come home and you see that the sibling is sort of not so from, not so into Yiddishkeit. And you can be mashpia. You have an obligation to be mashpia. 
So don't be busy with everybody, every stranger. Find somebody that's close. Maybe it's a cousin. Maybe it's a niece. Maybe it's a nephew. Maybe it's an uncle. Maybe it's a, a brother, a sister that could use a little bit of an embrace, a little bit of people. You have to be metaphor with that person. That's part of Ashava Savedo. And during Elul time, there's an additional Chiv Ashava Savedo. Today we've learned there's a mitzvah shava saveda on objects. There's a mitzvah shava saveda to help other people out, to join organizations so you can help people that are nidachim, that are stranded on a road. You could join chaverim, hatzawa, you could do so much for other people. There's a chiv of shava saveda to do kira brachaykim, says the Arachayim HaKadosh. There's an obligation to cure of craven. We makari people that are close. We island from we learn. But there's also an obligation, and it comes really into focus this time of year, and that's to return our own neshama to its proper place. That's what tshuva is. The word tshuva means to return. You have a mitzvah Aveda, Your soul has been tarnished over the course of the year. We don't feel anymore as close to Rabbi Nishlam as we should be. We do the mitzvahs, perhaps. We learn and we daven and we... But everything is like in half measures. And we feel like we're distant from the Rabbi Nishlam. This is a time that we are supposed to do tshuva. Tshuva means returning ourselves back to the Rabbi Nishlam. Now, there's an interesting ha'ara on this concept of tshuva that I saw um, from Ever Reisman. He has a sefer called Pathway of the Prophets. I was just looking for something else, and I saw this beautiful yisite from him that tshuva, people think it means to return and to be perfect. Tshuva means, oh, i got to be perfect. But nobody likes being perfect. We're not, what does it mean? I'm returning to a state of perfection. I, I don't remember my life that ever was perfect. What does that mean to return and be perfect? And that's why a lot of us don't do tshuva because I'm not perfect. So the whole tshuva is a waste of my time. He says a great verse. He says tshuva doesn't mean to be perfect. Tshuva means coming back to the struggle. Remember when we were younger, when we were maybe in Eretz Yisrael or maybe we were at like a good place in our life and when we used to do things that used to bother us, when we spoke Lashon Hara, we felt like that agitation before and after we spoke Lashon Hara, or before we were about to watch something that is questionable, we, ah, should I, shouldn't I, should I, in the end I did it maybe, but I felt like that struggle, I felt like an, an internal debate and some chaos within even if I succumbed, but at least I was struggling with that, with the Avera. It was an issue by me. It was like a problem. And then over the course of the year, things changed. And now I speak Lashonara, and I don't, even, I don't even have a problem with it. I don't even have like a guilty conscience before or after. It's just what I do now. I watch movies, and I don't think about whether it's right or wrong. I just do it. It's like part of my day. And I listen to things that I shouldn't, and I go places, but it's all without any struggle. Shuba does not mean come back and be this perfect malach of a person. It's not possible. All Shuba means is I'm going to come back to a state of struggle. I'm going to come back and actually feel bad before I do something and feel gross after I finish doing so. I have to feel like, like, like in, I have to feel that storm brewing inside of me before and after I do an Avedra. That's what this tshuva really is. Tshuva is returning to that, the way that we used to be, that beautiful bentaira that feels the struggle, that feels the, the challenge and the, and the ups and the downs and the, the, rocky, the rocky road of life. Not feeling that everything that I do is, is on a paved smooth road and I do Avedras without any guilt. That's the Aveda of Elul. Elul is a time to come back to that struggle. To be Meshav that Aveda to That was a priceless object that we had when we felt that struggle. We lost that over the course of time. 
We have to feel that struggle again. Now, how do you do that? How do you get back to that state? That pristine state that we once felt that we really, you know, when we were good, when we were really good about our life, when we really, how do you get back to that? So you're going to say, well, do tshuva. Tshuva is not so easy. It is, but it isn't. Rabbi Yashiv says an amazing part in this week's parsha. He says that the way for a person to come back from where he was at one point and now we've slipped, you know how you get back to that point? By learning Torah. The more that we're able to get back and learn Torah the way that we used to, the closer we'll get against the, again to the Rabbi Nishlam. But the easiest path to tshuva is by opening up a Gemara and learning Torah. And I'll prove it to you, he says. Because we say every day in davening, a few times a day, Bring us back to your Torah. And then we say, What's the connection between and You know why? When, you, when a person learns Torah, automatically that will bring him back to doing the right thing. You can't be a Ben Torah and learn Torah 8 hours a day, 10 hours a day, and then, and then do things that are wrong. It's not Shayach. The only way that we're able to do Averis without any guilt is because we're not really holding and learning anymore. The closer that we get, when HaKadosh Baruch returns us to the Torah, then we'll be able to do Tshuva. He says a great vart, there's a Gemara in Brachas. The Gemara in Brachas says, Anapheim and Aleph, a very strange Gemara. Imraya Adam Shisurin Bainalov. If a person sees that he's being wrapped with pain, he sees like his whole body is full of pain, and wherever he does is, you know, he gets into terrible, uh, painful situations in life. So the Gemara says, Yifashvesh B'maisov, Yimashvesh B'maisov. Check your actions, check your mitzvahs, check your avir, check your mezuzahs. Do something to see what, what, what's going wrong over here. The Gemara then says the strangest thing. Pishvesh v'loi matzah. Let's say I did a thorough inventory of all my mitzvahs and all my avir. So I didn't find anything that I'm doing wrong. I seem to be fine. Yitlein v'vitol tairah. Then you should attribute the surim that are coming on you to bitul tayr because you're mevatul tayr. All of the mefarshim asked, "What does mean yitlam bitul tayr?" Wasn't that part of the inventory list? What's the worst avera that, that you could that a person could do? Bitul tayr, bitul tayr connected kum, just like kamatayr is connected all the mitzvahs. Bitul tayr is connected all the mitzvahs. The worst thing in the world is to be. So why why wasn't that on my inventory list when I was being mefatrich for myself? How could I have missed that Aveir if I was being Mabato Taira? That should have been right up there with Vashmara and, and all the other, the, the, Gimel, uh, the Gimel Chamuris. Bittal Taira should be on the top of the list. Wasn't Yitlin the Bittal Taira? Zakribal Yashiv doesn't mean that Bittal Taira should, you know, that you, you missed it. He says, you know why you missed it? You know why you weren't able to be sensitive to what you were doing wrong? Because you weren't learning Taira. When a person is not holding and learning, then he's not able to even understand what's on the list. He doesn't even know what should be on the list. If a person's learning, he knows that Pitotar is a big problem. He knows that Lashnara is a big problem. He knows that, that looking at things and doing things and going, that's all problems. But if you're not, if you miss all the problems, you don't know what's going on in your life, it's because you're not learning. If a person would be holding and learning, he'd be sensitive to all these mitzvahs. When I was a bacher in yeshiva, in one of the yeshivas that I was in, there was a, a very uncomfortable situation. There was a boy in my, in my dorm room. And me and my roommate were chayshu. This third roommate was not putting on tefillin. Because he would wake up at a very ungodly hour and then, like, two minutes later, we'd see him, like, in the base medrash learning. We're like, what happened to Davenin? Yeah, maybe put it on. So what we did was, this wasn't really so, 
so nice, but I guess the inner mashkiach in me was being, you know, was being uh, channeled. And what we did was, his film were on top of a locker. The locker in the room, like the clock. So what we did was, we put a, a cotton ball on top of the tillum bag, just to see if it would ever get moved. And it wasn't moved one day, and two days, a week, three weeks, like the thing was like mamish stuck there. And clearly he wasn't putting on his film, and we didn't know what to do. He can't, how do you go over to a yeshiva buffer and say, hey buddy, you're not putting on your film for, for like a year now, like it's embarrassing. So what do you do? We couldn't think of a good way to go. So we went to a, a very smart person in the Kyle of that yeshiva, very chashavayid, and we told him the problem, and he gave a brilliant solution. He says, don't go over, don't, don't, don't give him a muscle, you're not the mashkiach, and it's not your job, and it's embarrassing for the person. I have a great etza for you. What's the etza? It says the etza is, make a chavrusha shaft with him in Hilchas Tzvillin. Say, would you like to learn Mishnaburah? Sure. What would you like to learn? I'd like to learn Hilchas Tzvillin. And you know what happened? We learned Hilchas Tzvillin together. Actually, not me, my, the other roommate learned with him. And, and before you knew it, he was putting on tefillin again. How could you not put on tefillin? If you're learning about Elvis tefillin, you can, you can avoid putting on tefillin? If you're not, it's possible. If you're not holding and learning of Elvis tefillin, so it's easy for me to ignore. But how can you learn Tyra and, be, and, and, and not put on tefillin? It doesn't make sense. You can't do that. That's the Pshat Hashim. The first step of life is, by the way, that guy today, he's like a huge Talmud Chacham. He's, like he's a Rebbe in like a big yeshiva. And it's all because of this Yisait. It, had, it never would have happened had it not been for, for this Maisa. Hashideinu Avinu L'Sayrasecha means bring me back to Tyra. Let me come back. Let me make another Chabrusa Shaf. Let me learn more Be'in. That's everybody's deep-seated yearning. If you're in Yeshiva, you want to learn. The problem is that there's a big Sahara to not learn. Because the Yitzhahara, like the Chavitz Chaim used to say, the Yitzhahara will let you do whatever you want in life. Go ahead. You want to drive a mitzvah tank to the streets of Manhattan and put on tefillin? Gesundheit. No one's stopping you. There's one thing that the Yitzhahara does stop. And that is, he can't stand when we learn. Because learning is such a powerful mitzvah that he will do everything in his power to take that mitzvah away. So if you're ever wondering, why is it so difficult for me to open up that Gemara? And I want to learn. I just don't learn. I really want to learn, but I just I come into the base matters and I like, you know, I sit down by the you know, and then I check my email, and then I and then I'm out. What happens? Why is it that I I, I love buying a lulav and esrog? I love davening, let's say, and I love uh, doing hashem. Say I love hatzola and 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 chavim, but I can't get myself to learn when I sit down in that you know to open up that safer. I you know, there's there's nothing heavier than the cover of a gemara. There's nothing ever. I could probably easier bench press a 300-pound barbell than open up a little cover of a Gemara. Like, you open it up, it's like, ah! And then, like, finally you open it. And when you open it, now it's Geshmak. But to get that Gemara open, the Yitzhar is, like, holding it down. He doesn't want us to learn. But when a person actually engages in learning, there's nothing more Geshmak. You have a Chavrusa, you, you learn with your son... You know, Baruch Hashem, I have a son that's in 10th grade and his mind is, is beginning to get into learning and understand the lumdas or whatever. There's nothing more beautiful. Nothing more. I don't enjoy anything more than sitting in my room with my son. Nothing. You give me, you know, throw me in, uh, in Action Park and Hershey Park and Bungie John. I don't want to do that. I want to sit and learn. And I really want to sit and learn. Just it's hard. But the more that we're able to learn, the greater and the deeper our chuba will be. The biggest Hashavas Aveda that a person can perform is getting himself back to himself. Getting himself back to that struggle. The Aveda for us is much simpler than it is for people that are not in Yeshiva. Because Yeshiva is designed for us to sit and learn. When we're able to learn and try to learn as uninterrupted as possible with a Geshmak and with a song and with a Chavrusa and with a Chabura and, and, and really engage in learning in the most beautiful way possible, that's the ultimate tshuva. And that's the way that we're able to be meshed ourselves back to our the way we really should be. You don't have to engage in any 
you know, soul searching in the Himalaya mountains to do tshuva. You just have to sit and learn. And the more that you sit and learn, the more you're going to have a desire to do the mitzvah satayra, to be close to Rabbi Nishlam, to do it, to avoid Averis. How could I do an Averis when I sat and learned so well today? And that's how tzaddikim are. Tzaddikim is not because they don't have the Yitzhara. It's just that they overpower the Yitzhara with so much Tyra, so much Kedusha, that it doesn't pass for them to, to do an Adeira. I think the, the Kutzka used to say that I don't expect my Hasidim to not do Adeiras. He says, I don't, and that's not what I expect. He says, I just want my Hasidim to be so busy with mitzvahs that they don't want to do Adeiras. That's the aside of Hashavah Saveda. Hashavah Saveda is so many levels, it's so deep. But it's a personal mitzvah as well. It's not that I'm getting your Aveda, I'm getting my Aveda for myself. That's what Shuva is. Shuva is returning myself to myself. And there is the simple, the simplest and most Gishmaka method to do that. It's not a bitter pill to swallow, it's the most Gishmaka pill to swallow. The more that we engage in Taira, the more that we bring ourselves back to the Gemara and to learn in a way that's proper, in a way that's kishmak, and that we immerse ourselves in the mikvah of Taira, then that is the greatest way to remember what we really are, to remind ourselves of what we can be when we're good. And in Mitzvah Hashem, we will be able to mekayim the mitzvah of returning the Aveda once again to ourselves.